Welcome to the fifth episode of the Wahaha Cast. I'm David Simonton. This is my friend Christopher Peanut Kirby. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, I am wearing a monocle and a top hat, even as we speak. <laughs> I would uh, also like to thank Tom Kirby for uh, producing this and getting it all together for us and making us somehow sound like we know what we're doing. So uh, That's an amazing feat. It is. It is. Um, so today's topic uh, is going to be mainly the Justice League. Uh, then we're going to go a little into uh, uh, the Charleston. Charleston. That's that's not even right. The Charleston. It's the Charleston Chew is the uh, is a candy bar. <laughs> See, we're all tying it back to the peanut that I called you. The Charlton characters that DC bought in the eighties. Uh, we're going to talk about them uh, on the last third of the episode. Um, Chris, right quick, uh, we're going to go down uh, memory lane a little bit before we start talking about this. Um, for everybody, uh, Chris and I have known each other since tenth grade. Um, when we were in college, there was a comic book convention called the Magnum Opus Con. Is that correct? That, that's right. That's that was right. in Macon. And, and I don't know if you've even thought about this uh, in the past zillion years, um, but it, uh, it, it hit me a couple of days ago. If you remember, uh, we went to that. Um, and I think we went, I think it was, you know, all weekend, so we went a couple of times. But one of the times we went, you wanted to dress in costume. Do you remember this? I do, unfortunately, okay. yeah. You yeah. were, I guess, at Mercer University at the time, so you were a part of the theater uh, group. So you right. had access to different costumes. And so I remember we were looking at them, and I don't do costumes. I just don't. I, I'll go to a Halloween party, and I'm not dressing up. I'm the, I'm the lame person of the party. I don't even like parties, but, you know, that's a whole different thing. But if I'm going to show up to one, I'm not, I'm not dressing up. I don't like it. I don't know why. I'm weird. But you convinced me somehow to dress up so we go prancing in there in the middle of this convention wearing black tights were we yes oh i was you convinced me to wear black i don't know what you were wearing i think you were too but i think we had also like sprayed our hair silver or something bizarre (laughs) so i'm walking around in tights and i can honestly say i've never felt so uncomfortable and humiliated in my life and that's the last time I dressed up for anything. So, onward to the show, all right? Well, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Okay, we, 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 right. should, we, we should back up for a second and say, <laughs> we, were, we were cosplay way before there was such a thing as cosplay. You do have a point. You do have a point. I mean, we now... We were the only ones wearing tights there. Thank you. <laughs> we were... Men in tights. Um, oh, yes, yes. But I don't know. Uh, that I was thinking the other day about how the whole convention scene has changed so radically yeah. since those days where it really people didn't dress. They didn't. I mean, they dressed. Yeah. They wore. They wore. <laughs> they wore clothes. Thank, thank goodness um, for that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but they didn't, they didn't do the cosplay. They didn't do all, all of that. But, um, so every, every episode, apparently David's going to come up with something that I need to apologize for. But I will remind, I will remind him that he has something that is innate in all human beings. And that is free will. <laughs> 
Chris, I did it because I love you. And I didn't, I didn't want to disappoint you. Now, I don't think I can get you to apologize for much, because I think back in those days, well, back throughout my whole life, I've been the immature one. So I probably owe you about 10,000 apologies. But well, it, it works It works both ways. That's yeah, well, right. I'm going to keep right, thinking but... of what else you can apologize for every episode. We're going to... I am going to say this and tie it back to comic books, though. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, we met... A, it, it, this was would have been extremely early in his career. We met Matt Wagner. He was there. Um, I know that because I have his autograph. He had the uh, the first paperback of the first few issues of of Mage, yeah. the first run of Mage, had just come out. So we were <laughs> we were dressed like that <laughs> when we met <laughs> Matt Wagner. <laughs> Grinkle is like my favorite comic book of all time. So the fact that we were dressed like that when met that, thanks for bringing that up. I completely forgot about that. Um, I do remember. Wow, Matt Wagner. I mean, he's like my hero. Uh, honestly, no joke. Um, and it's a shame because the new Grindel miniseries is putting out has sort of been put on hold. I, hopefully, it hadn't been canceled, but because of the COVID thing, it just sort of stopped after three or four issues. So hopefully, that'll. Be- I remember uh, back at the convention, I uh, went to one of the autographing tables where fellow Meccanite uh, Craig Hamilton, who is best known, I think, for the blue and white Aquaman costume in the 80s uh, yeah. series that I, I personally love. But I, I walked up to his table, and I didn't know him at the time. Um, he thought I was Art Adams. I don't know if you remember that. No. <laughs> he was supposed to be sharing a table with Art or sitting near him or something, and he he called me art, and I was like, uh, "Thanks, but no, I'm that I, I can't draw, you know." Um, <laughs> but anyway, that was just, uh, and we met, uh, you know, Scotty from Star Trek. <laughs> That's the those things used to be just sort of random assortments of people. Yes, um, I don't know if you remember, but we almost we were chosen originally to drive Elvira from the airport to the convention. Do you remember that? And then no. somehow we somehow we didn't, you know. But I, I was just thinking, I'm going to have Elvira in my car. What am I going to say? What do you say to Elvira? <laughs> and we were, I think, in charge of the video room where they were showing old movies and TV shows, and I don't even think we showed up to that. Do you remember that? I don't... Yeah, we didn't do anything. No, we used to go to the meetings at a comics castle uh, to plan this, and you and I just, we really didn't uphold our end of the bargain at all. We're wearing tights there instead of, you know. <laughs> but all right, so onward now to the uh, meat of the show here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Justice League. Uh, first, we're going to start with the uh, current series. Um, and then we're going to work our way uh, backwards a little bit. So, uh, Chris, uh, what do you think about the current Justice League series going on now? There's, uh, sad to say to me, there's not a lot to say. Um, they relaunched Justice League. There's been a, I mean, Justice League has been a, a relaunched as many times as almost any series, really. Um, they, uh, during the New 52, Jim Lee and Jeff Johns relaunched it. Um, and to 
frankly, I thought it was a mediocre book then. Um, now Scott Snyder relaunched it, uh, again, uh, and it was, um, I mean, I, I, my, my response is just really, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it, there's, there's nothing about it that particularly stands out. And now it seems to have passed into the hands of writers and artists who nothing wrong with them, but it's, there's no consistent team. Um, I just read the most recent issue, which I think is 52 and it's a, uh, dark night metal. Uh, is it death metal? Is that the new yeah, version so. of, of I metal? I think it's 53. You're talking about 50. Oh, okay. Okay. But yes, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's 53. Um, and it's a, uh, tie in issue, which those never really appeal to me because they're just sort of there to either number one, fill in until they can get a more consistent creative team or, there to sell the other book. Um, so it, I, I don't, the only thing I can say about the most recent issues outside of the number 53, 51 and 52, 51 and 52 is a nice small story arc that actually harkens back to a story, um, that Alan Moore wrote, uh, called the man who, uh, the man who has everything. And it was in a, uh, an old, Pre was this pre crisis? If it wasn't pre crisis, it was. Cl- it, it, it was I around, think it man. was pre pre crisis. Um, it was a Superman annual uh, that he wrote with Dave Gibbons, which is really interesting because this was pre Watchmen as well. Great issue. It later became uh, an episode of the Justice League cartoon. They changed. They updated it, and, and uh, there's an episode that is that basically is that issue uh dealing with a what's what's the name of the alien or the, the, or black, the plant black mercy black mercy that that when it attaches to a host gives them in order to it's sort of a parasite that lives off of the person but it gives them their heart's desire at least as an illusion and they they think they're living something that they're not uh, in the Alan Moore story, originally, it's a pretty devastating story because it gives Superman everything he's ever wanted in his life, and then all of that is ripped away from him. Um, so that, that's pretty pretty uh, amazing story. This, the Justice League version, uh, it, to me, seems to trade on nostalgia for that previous story and it doesn't and it focuses more on Batman um and doesn't really do much uh it, it's again it just it feels like fill in so I you know that's kind of where I, I think the current Justice League is it's not what I think is a good place what do you think uh exactly what you think um I, I will say about uh 51 and 52 with the Black Mercy uh the art um, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. It, it's, uh, is it Roca, Rocha, uh, R-O-C-H-A. Um, yeah. He, uh, Robson, whatever his last name is, uh, he drew Aquaman, the, the current series, for a good while. Um, and he, I love his art. Um, I think he's fantastic. So I think the art and the writing by, I think, Love, last name Loveness uh, wrote it. I think both were really good, and they took a... Like you said, a story that was just sort of a rehash of the original Alan Moore story. Um, and with any other creative team that would have done it, I think it would have been bland. But to me, I think they were both so good at it that 
I was very interested by it, at least. Yeah, I, I, I should have said that the art I thought was strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the the story generally was very strong. The ending was not. It, You're it right. was just you know, uh, I, it, it felt rushed. Um, I, I realize that now you know stories sometimes feel overextended because it feels like they're trying to get get it to at least six issues so they can put it in a trade. But but this was not just a. I think this could have been more than two issues for sure. I agree. Um, probably could have been stretched out more to include more of the Justice League. Yeah, and and their stories as well. I agree. I agree. Um, so yeah, I, you know the. I agree with you with the Scott Snyder issues. I, you know, it went on for like forty something issues, pretty much one big story, and uh, I don't remember. You know, it, it's like right. as I'm reading them, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm entertained, I'm enjoying it, but it just, I, I think Snyder could do better. I think he was just thinking really big, and and but it just didn't really go anywhere. I don't think, you know. Well, it, if you look at if you look at, um, he is a one big story arc kind of writer. Right. Uh, Batman, his Batman was really one big arc um but it was it had intimate smaller moments mm-hmm. in there and this doesn't this is all about you know sort of big set pieces and it's just the the stories themselves or in the there's nothing that makes me really want to read the next issue right i agree um and and a big big problem i have with and it's just comic books in general these days but it's Specifically now talking about the Justice League, there are no subplots. There are no uh, character development. There's no nothing. Uh, You can't develop Batman or Superman or whatever. They have their own titles for that. But, you know, the great thing about team books is you can get these obscure characters and take them and you can focus on their you know, personal life or, or what's going on with them and have them grow and change them and all that. Um, and, and learn about the characters. And these days, I think a lot of comic creators are just telling a story. They're not... Hmm. Uh, there was... When Jonathan Hickman was writing Avengers, which I was extremely disappointed with, um, he brought in some new characters. I don't even know who they are, and he never explained who they were. And uh, there should have been solo stories on them. You know, uh, Chris Claremont excelled at that with X-Men, you know, and... A lot of books in the 80s dealt with, you know, even West Coast Avengers, Batman and the Outsiders, things like that. You got to learn about the other characters, whereas I think in the current Justice League, it has more of the iconic characters, but the ones that aren't as iconic, you know, they're just, it, they're just sort of telling stories. And no one's going to remember that years from now, I don't think. Um, you sort of need right. something to keep you, to have you care about the characters you're reading about. and. Nobody seems to you know do that, it, is it? It, it makes me remember, and we'll come to this when we start talking about previous Justice Leagues, but there's an issue. I mean, I don't know too many comics creators who would be this daring, but there's an issue of Grant Morrison's run of, of JLA where really the only focus is the then Green Arrow, who was Connor Hawk, which no one rem- and no one remembers Connor Hawk, but the entire issue was focused through his eyes, mm-hmm. and 
nobody would do that now. Right. Would would take a super obscure version of a character and let an entire like you know triple A issue of a of a particular title be focused on that right. character. Right. And I mean, you don't see that anymore. No. Um, so, and I, I'm trying to remember if I read that issue or not. I'm sure I did. I'm sure I read all of his issues. But, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, who's going to ever remember Connor Hart? You know, right. Um, right. But uh, now the I don't know if you read the other two Justice League comic books now, but there's Justice League Dark and there's Justice League Odyssey. Um, Justice League Dark is actually my favorite of the three. It's uh, for some reason Wonder Woman is sort of the head of it. I, I, I guess it's just to sell comic books, but uh, the rest of the team is. Like supernatural type characters, as Swamp Thing and you know, Zatanna and Detective Chimp, but he's not really supernatural. But you know, <laughs> characters like that. Um, but it's great. And if, if you're familiar with a book that came out about 20 years ago by Bill Willingham, uh, Shadow Pact, it's pretty much the same. Yes, same thing. Um, but the art and the writing. Uh, James Tenyon wrote most of them, and now uh, it's changed writers. But the art is. Just solid and great book. Oh, I think even uh, John Constantine is in there, and I'm going to say Constantine's name probably two to three hundred times an episode because that's how it's pronounced. Not team, but time. Um, <laughs> if I'm ever going to go on a rant, it's going to be about that. Um, the Hollywood has no idea how to pronounce the character they're making movies of and TV shows of. But anyway, I'm off my uh, I'm off my rant now. Thank you. Thank you. For I thought listening. his name was Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been played by Sting, you know, instead of dark-haired American Keanu Reeves. Um, whoa. But, uh, yeah, whoa. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Alan Moore and Rick Veitch say Constantine, so I'm, I'm going with that. I'm going with yep. they, they created it, so I'm going with that. Um, but anyway, Justice League Dark, a really good book. Hopefully it'll keep going. I don't know what the cells are like, but... I have not read. I, I I've only read a few issues of that. I have not read Justice League Odyssey, so I have no idea what that book is. It's okay. It's just uh, you know, Justice League in space. Um, Cyborgs in there, and one of the female Green Lantern. I I uh, can't remember her name right now, but it's pretty good. Written by Dan Dan Abnett. I think it's getting canceled. Uh, Dark Side's in there a lot. Um, Dark Seed, Dark Side. Um, but it's it's pretty good. But uh, I think you can kind of hear in our, even when we're talking about this, our indifference to these books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, You're right. it's just, there's nothing that, you know, I really want to read the next issue or I, I'm, I really love this story arc or this right. characterization. None of that is there. But I have a feeling we're going to talk about ones we do love for probably a good bit longer than we talked about the new ones uh, as we segue into favorite Justice League runs of all time. Um, I, I have a feeling I know what yours is going to be, um, but I could be completely wrong. What's your favorite Justice League run? I, I have two, and I've, I've gone back and forth, um, but when I really... When I really think about what are the issues that I want to reread, and with as many comics as come out, if you want to reread something, that's actually to me that's actually really saying something. Yeah. Um, the the ones I really want to reread are the Grant Morrison 
uh, really? JLAs. Okay, you shocked me. I, abs- I absolutely love those from, and, you know, they're even, even the, uh, the issues where he sort of took a break and Mark Wade came in and, mm-hmm. and did a run called, uh, Tower of Babel. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, they, up until Morrison left, I would say that is the quintessential Justice League. Um, now he did all kinds of odd things. I think he handled, um, a lot of stuff that was going on in DC continuity better than anybody else was doing. I mean, if he could make electric blue Superman seem interesting, uh, he, he did it. That, um, that's, a, he, that's an accomplishment. It, it is. He brought back Plastic Man and made Plastic Man more of a, um, centerpiece for DC. Um, he, uh, he initially just brought it back to the core, uh, five. Is it five? Uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern. An ambush bug. There was no ambush bug. I'm I'm sorry to tell you. There there was a snapper car. There was no snapper car. Um, So the core six, I mean, he brought it back to them. He made Batman. um, This was his first real stab at Batman. His Batman was part Rorschach almost. I mean, like Mm -hmm. the, the main thing I remember in Grant Morrison's run of justice league is that Batman made that sound, that HRM sound all the time. Um, and, uh, in the initial storyline where they, they fought a, uh, a group of white Martians who were masquerading as another super group. Um, all the people with superpowers could do nothing about it, but Batman figured everything out. I mean, yeah. that was, that's, you know, basically, uh, the person without the powers is always the one, he always has him as the one who's smarter than all the rest of them. Yeah. And that, that started that sort of conception of Batman. And it's more focused on Batman as a, as a human. And, uh, anyway, those, those stories and the art, uh, which was by, Oh, Howard yes, was weird in that it was, but, it, and when I say weird, I don't mean that it was like Bill Sienkiewicz or someone like that, where it was abstract, but it was, when I really go back and look at it, there was a real attempt to make it look like Jack Kirby. Mm. Um, and this sort of big, larger than life, sort of blocky characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he was, I think Morrison was trying to, uh, I read if you, I don't know if you if you've read Morrison's book Super Gods, um, but he talks a little bit about that about the conception of the Justice League as as something that was like he was trying to do something like Jack Kirby was doing, and uh, make the all of the conflicts are are really huge and and uh, that that's where I think it's hard for me to, to embrace the Scott Snyder issues because it's after that Grant Morrison run, it's really hard to, um, to outdo that. It's kind of like somebody trying to do animal man after Grant Morrison has done it. I mean, he kind of drops the mic pretty hard on books when he leaves. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It was never really, it was good for a while, but it was never really the same. And hopefully we'll have a vertigo episode at some point talking about, yeah. All those great Vertigo books in the 80s and 90s, I guess. Um, all right, what's your, uh, what's your other favorite one that you were 
Before. Well, that's that's the, on the completely opposite end is the Giffen and uh, uh, Demetius or Demetius. I don't. We've talked about his name before, not knowing how to pronounce it. Just call I'll him just send him. I need to I need to send him a, a Twitter message and just say we're we're doing these podcasts and we're butchering your name. Can you please tell us, you know, how you pronounce your name? He's going to be the um, next one to sue us, by the way, just for butchering his that, name. Well, he, but you know, here, but here's the difference: we actually like him. Oh, we I love him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, Minute, he's done amazing. Minute Dragon Con. What? Eight, eight oh, next that's to awesome. Dragon Con. Yeah. So, uh, what did he have? Uh, eggs, sausage. Bacon. <laughs> No, he uh, he was just sitting next to us in a in a diner, and uh, I just said I don't want to bother you or your wife eating. I just want to tell you we're fans of you, and then that was it. And then about five minutes later, he started up a conversation, and uh, we talked for like ten minutes. One of the nicest gentlemen, and his wife was as nice as could be. Uh, fantastic. But uh, go ahead. Continue. Well, he was he was way ahead of his time to me. I mean, yeah. his writing was doing stuff that. A lot of other writers later did, yeah. um, but but he and Giffen uh, reinvented Justice League in the '80s, and the initial run where Kevin McGuire was the first thing Kevin McGuire had penciled, I believe. Uh, those first seven issues of Justice, it was just called Justice League. Uh, this was before all of the Justice League International, Justice League Europe, all of those. Quarterly. Um, I, I think those are some of the funniest, strongest. Issues. It later, and this is the reason why I couldn't say it was my favorite, because eventually it descended into such, such an attempt to be broad comedy that it wasn't very funny to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, that type of comedy can only last so long. Um, yeah. But what they did was brilliant. They forever changed the face of comic books because they took these characters and said, I mean, they're human. Well, other than Superman, but, you know, I don't even know. I don't think you know he wasn't really in there. But um, he wasn't, was he? Superman really wasn't a character in those. No, um, but you know, you had. It's like if Chris, if you and I got superpowers, how would we act? Would we act any different? No, <laughs> we'd be sitting in the conference room of this super team, just acting like total nutbags, you know. So, you know, I I am Booster Gold. You are Blue Beetle. You know, I'm the. <laughs> I'm the one that used to be an athlete that's just, you know, an idiot. And you're the more technologically brilliant but still idiot in really? a funny way, you know. Yeah, that, that's us. That's us. And uh, But it, it said, hey, you know, if these characters were real, how would they act? Well, that's how they would act, you know. Um, right. It was, it was genius. It changed comic books completely. Um, and it was a nice, uh, alternate to books like, uh, Swamp Thing or Watchmen or Viva Vendetta or Animal Men or whatever that were so dark and serious and weird. You, they were great, but you had Justice League doing something just really fun and, you know, you didn't have to think too hard when you read them, but the dialogue was some of the best dialogue I've ever read. Yeah, I, I... When I think back to them, I mostly remember the the early issues with Maguire. Yeah. Um, and those, if you go back and read them, are not as broad 
as the later issues. They're, yeah. they're a little more grounded. By the time we get to, uh, gosh, I don't even know how many issues that run went to. It, went, it was over 50 issues, I, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But th- by the end of it, you had like, you know, Nort, who is this uh, dog, <laughs> Green Lantern, and there was this there was this robot called Elron that yeah. was making fun of Elron Hubbard. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were all kinds of really funny things, but it was just so broad yeah. that, uh, and ridiculous. I think booster and, and, uh, blue beetle bought an Island, bought like a Caribbean Island or something. And, um, uh, was it Oblong Island or something yeah. else? Wait, that yeah. showed up in Giffen's doom patrol uh, a few years ago. Yeah. That's where they lived. I think. So, yeah, so it was, um, I, I lost some interest after a while. Now, Justice League Europe also was, was, uh, part of that yep. run and, uh, introduced Bart Sears as a penciler, mm-hmm. uh, and also was very, that, I mean, that was very strong, but it, it, again, they, they took the popularity and extended it about as far as they could. And then it sort of imploded. It all just sort yeah. of stopped. Well, and then we ended. Well, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, then it ended. It, once it imploded, then you got total trash, like Justice League Task Force. <laughs> Would you believe I read that about it, within the past two years? I uh, I think what? I went. I think yes. I think I went to MegaCon, and there was a comic dealer that just had fifty cent comics or dollar comics, but you know. Everything was alphabetized, so you get these large runs of things. And I was like, you know, let me just load up on some stuff that I've never read before. And I bought that, and it, yeah, I read them, and it was some of the. It was awful. It was David. Awful. Yes, David. Yes. Life is life is short. Life is very short. It's, it passes in the blink of an eye, yeah. and there is no time in any of our lives to spend on Dan Jurgens. Make a very valid point. There's nothing I can say. Um, that's probably how you feel about Cowboy Wally too. <laughs> Cowboy Wally and uh, John Constantine are going to be brought up in every episode. <laughs> every episode. Just just wait till the Vertigo episode with the Constantine. Well, I'm, I'm warning you now. You may not even want to listen to it. It was really important to me to add another comics creator to the to the list of those that just really are not going to like us when they hear this but Dan Jurgens is one of those I agree I agree it's uh, it's you spell how do you spell Jurgens B L A N D I think, I think yeah. that's how you spell that's the, it. That's the problem. That's the problem. Is it, it never it never achieves anything other than getting an issue out on the stands. Right. 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 I agree. I, I mean, agree. And it and at least I mean some of these other people we've talked about, Max Allen Collins, because he's got to come up in every issue <laughs> issue episode. I mean, it at least he achieved something. He he achieved something so incredibly bad. But, you know, with somebody like Jurgens, it's just like it's it's just bland, pablum. It, it it does it has no it has no flavor. Um it's amazing to me that he created Booster Gold. That, but you know, that's a pretty lame character too, and he only got good in Justice League. 
or in other people's hands. Yes. Yes. You know, you know, so like, I mean, even Tom King's using Booster Gold now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something to be said for that character. Well, you know, to me, he's like Animal Man. It's like Animal Man's one of the worst characters ever created, in my opinion. But get Grant Morrison on there and turns him into this outstanding book. So it's... Right. Put him in the right hands, and I think he can do him good. And one quick thing about Max Allen Collins. Back to that right quick. Um, you know, we got to at least give him credit. You know, he was writing Dick Tracy. He probably created some villains like, you know, Wumplejaw and, you know, uh, <laughs> Bullet Brow. You know, because everybody had a had some type of facial jet. <laughs> facial jet. Um, so That's the name of my next band, by the way. Facial jet with their new yes. song, Wumplejaw and Bullet Brow. So... All right, enough of Max Allen Collins. Um, sorry, Max. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, sorry, my, Dan. No, are you really sorry? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no hesitation whatsoever. <laughs> well, my uh, favorite run of Justice League... Now, let me just say, I think the best run of Justice League uh, is the Giffen to Mattias McGuire. I think those are the best ones ever, ever, but... My personal favorite, uh, as with anything, is from the 70s. Uh, it had a zillion different writers, so I'm not even going to try to name them. But the art was consistent with Dick Dillon, who a lot of people don't necessarily remember him. Wasn't anything great, uh, but there's just something about the way he drew. He drew them to me like they were supposed to look. He drew them heroic. Um, there's something about the innocence of those days, you know, other than maybe Green Arrow, who was a jerk, but most... The characters got along. They were almost goody-goody-ish, but I like that, you know? Was They're this not... the... Is this what would be considered the satellite years? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And they would team up with Justice Society and, uh, you know, yearly. People like the uh, team-ups, you know, at least once a year with that. Um, and I don't know. It was just... Uh, to me, that's what the Justice League is, just heroic. It was it was nothing really weird, nothing even really special, but it was, to me, what they are about. It was almost like a a more serious Super Friends version of them, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. They just, these heroes aren't acting like brats like a lot of them do these days, which is more realistic. I mean, you know, you're not going to. You know, everybody, everybody's a brat in some way. But uh, back then, you know, they just, they were heroic. And they did everything they could to save the day. And they got along. And they, you know, you can look up to them. And as a kid, that's what you want to do. You know, they're, they're role models in a way. Um, but they were just fun stories. Every issue was fun. It was very consistent art, even though the writing changed a lot. But uh, that's it. Everything in the 70s pretty much my favorite. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, so... I guess, gosh, I've lost track of how many years ago this was, but uh, DC did a series called Identity Crisis that was actually, for the most part, set during the time, the satellite years, but it was very dark. Um, the the uh, the storyline was very dark. The, the way it viewed the characters was very dark. I, I was just wondering if you had a... Uh, because... You're right that that Silver Age satellite era, and you know, a lot of people you can the Justice League for those 
who haven't read it a lot. I mean, a lot of, a lot of credence is given to where their headquarters is. Is it, uh, in, in some of the Grant Morrison issues, it's on the moon. Um, <laughs> there, it was, uh, it was a satellite for a lot of the seventies. It was, uh, originally, if I'm not mistaken, it was a cave. Um, it, yeah. you remember that? Yeah, because in the uh, side of a mountain. Yep, yeah, because the first Young Justice series—that's where they stayed. I think was that same right. cave. Yeah, uh, and in in and we'll talk about uh, Detroit uh, later, but they were in Detroit for a while uh, in a garage or something. I don't remember what exactly that was. Um, Tra- trash. And, they were in. They were in a garbage dump because that's what those ser- that's what those comics were like. Ab- absolutely. Um, so a lot of Vixie and Vibe and all that. That was Vibe. Those were the Vibe and Vixen and Steel and Gypsy. years. Yeah, and Gypsy with Martian Manhunter leading them. Yeah, I think Chuck Patton drew them. Yeah, go, yeah. So, so let me go back to to Identity Crisis and ask you: How did you respond to that as a fan of the that Silver Age Justice League? Well, I'm also a fan of more adult presented stories too. And that one was pretty brutal. Is that the one where Dr. Light uh, sexually attacked, was it uh, Sue Gibney? Yes. Or um, Gene Loring. I can't, I mean, no, it was, yeah. it was Sue. It was Sue Dibney. And then uh, his, he got mind wiped and the whole series was sort of looking at it as that wrong to wipe one's, to wipe everybody's right. memory from that horrific event or whatever. And, uh, you know, I like that series. I, I, I guess I wasn't even really rem, reminded of the, the issues in the seventies that sort of took place in that time period. Um, I, I guess it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, okay. You know, I just, I love adult written stories and things that are sort of pushing the envelope. And, uh, I thought that did. And it was, uh, Brad Meltzer, didn't he write that? He did, and Rags Morales yeah. uh, penciled it. Yeah, Meltzer um, is an excellent it, writer. It had a 70s uh, sort of look to it. Mm-hmm. The art did as well. So it, it was. I was just wondering if that if that seemed jarring to you or <laughs> if it worked. And generally it speaking, works. I would say I, I liked it. I did too. I did too. Um, a lot better than the couple of the crisis series after that maybe we can have an episode about the crisis series at some point uh, definitely and i was gonna say it, there there were i mean justice league had a lot of crisis issues in the 70s there were you know and i weren't there there were some there Those were some were the uh, like with justice yes. and things like that yeah it, and uh george perez did some issues i mm-hmm. think yeah um so uh, yeah i that's the i mean to be honest when i think about the justice league that's the iconic version of it to me is not the original team. It's that 1970s era team. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. Any other words about the justice league before we go to our next topic? Only, only to go to Detroit for just a second. Sure. Because that was a radical departure for DC Mm -hmm. to go. And they basically jettisoned all of the main characters. Why you would do this? I don't know. So let's take all of the characters that anybody cares anything about that sell any (laughs) books. Let's take them all out of this and let's leave it with Martian Manhunter. Great character Mm -hmm. when handled properly, Mm -hmm. but have him lead the issues and let's create all new characters. Um, 
most of whom, I mean, I don't think anybody was clamoring for vibe. Uh, and the only good thing I can say is before they launched the, the, the quote unquote funny Justice League, they let JM Dematius mm-hmm. write the final story. Uh, do you remember this? Uh, he do, wrote. I don't know. All right, you need to go back and read these because <laughs> I mean they're not funny, and I don't mean to sound like I'm some kind of sicko, but he t- he basically was allowed to destroy that team. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And, I do and remember that. he he did, and it was brutal. It's so <laughs> brutal, it's almost like it's just so over the top yeah. that it's funny. Um, because I think, I think he recognized there was such universal hatred of that team that he just, and his writing was very strong, Mm -hmm. uh, even on those, even with those characters. So that would be, that would be the only of those of that era. That would be the only story worth going back and and rereading. Of course, Vibe and Gypsy both were on the Flash TV show, um, and I think they're handled well there, especially Vibe. I didn't he's know on, that. Yeah, uh, he's on every episode, um, and he's a very likable character there. In the comic books, not so much. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think uh, this was in the 80s? Do you, uh, probably early 80s? Do you think they created, do you think they created these characters as their version of to compete with the X-Men and it just fell drastically. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you can't, you, I mean, fine. If you want to create a new team, you know, and what, like if you call them the outsiders or you want to call them whatever, you know, something new, but to say that's the justice league, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you would not just, it's no different than Marvel wouldn't. Well, there were some Avengers runs. We could talk about those in another episode. But there were some yes. Avengers runs that didn't have, you know, any particularly uh, great characters. Right. But that that idea doesn't work. I mean, because people go to those books for, I mean, you can have every almost, and, and this is something that I did want to talk about with Justice League. Almost every creator who's had a significant run has brought in new characters. Mm-hmm. Whether they've had any longevity or not, and frankly, most of them have not no. had any longevity. I mean, Grant Morrison brought in Azrael, uh, and I don't think anything has been done with that character since. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. And yeah. he even brought Aztec into the Justice League, if you remember that. Yeah. Um, he even had his own series that didn't last very That long. Morrison wrote. Yeah. Um, well, this so, was in the nineties too. So, uh, everything was bad then. I thought a lot of things. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So so, uh, but you know, back to the uh, maybe trying to recreate the X Men. I think the new Teen Titans with Wolfman and Perez did exactly that and gave the X Men a run for did. their money. Um, it did, but there was no need to do that with the Justice League. And, and if you're gonna do that. Put a creative team on there that's maybe going to help sell the book, and I don't think they they did that. You know, so you had these no. bad characters and creative team that was just you know, just sort of there, and it was just a bad, bad era, um, very bad. Yeah, and as an example, uh, you could sometimes have 
some pretty lousy art, but a good, uh, some good writing can, and I would say that was what DC was doing that with Suicide Squad. I mean, the art is not good in those early issues now, of, Luke of Suicide Squad. Now, going to sue us. Thank you. Well, that's all right. Yeah. But he, bring yeah, it was on, a great Luke. Series, but, great series. Great series. Um, but mostly on the, on the back of the writer, frankly. I mean, it really is. So, John Ostrander. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so, and that, that stuff has held up. And it's held up more for the writing than for the for the art. I so I, I, we can we can wrap up uh, Justice League now. But I thought those were those were interesting things to talk about. Now that you have added about five more people to the list, they're going to bring us into bankruptcy. And that's that's yep. fine. That's right. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> we want some cease and desists before it's all over with. Um, all right. The next topic. Uh, back in the eighties, uh, DC pretty much purchased the characters from Charlton comic books, such as Blue Beetle, Captain Atom, Peacemaker, uh, I think Black Orchid, Question, and, uh, you know, a couple of them were in the Justice League, so that's how we're sort of tying this all in in a very lame way. Um, so we're going right. to talk about those uh, books, and uh, I'll just, uh, I'll go through the series, and you tell me your thoughts, I'll tell you my thoughts, and we'll move on to the next one, all right? All right. Uh, first one, uh, Blue Beetle by Lynn Wein, and I believe Paris Collins. Loved it. Um, I don't really remember much of it except the art. I thought Paris Collins was, uh, I, in an era that was so dark, he, he had a really cartoony. Mm-hmm. I, I still, in, I still enjoy uh, the Blue Devil issues that he uh, penciled. And I thought that was, he brought that energy to Blue Beetle, and then that book just fizzled. After he left, it did. It did. Um, I like it too. Just a fun book. Uh, again, one of those you don't have to think too hard, but you can just enjoy it. You got some new villains in there and some C list villains, but I-, I love those more than classic villains in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very fun. They did exactly what they needed to do with it. And, you know, you're not going to expect it to last for 20 years. Um, I think it lasted about as long as you would think something like that would last. Yeah. Next book, and I don't know if either one of us are really going to know much about this, uh, Peacemaker. There was a, a miniseries, uh, I think about four issues of the Peacemaker. Yep. Peacemaker had this really ridiculous helmet that didn't really make any sense. <laughs> And uh, it, it's, it was, I don't even, that possibly could have even hurt the character because you're just looking at it the whole time going, what the heck? Um, but I, I don't even know if I read all of the four issues or whatever, however issues it was with the miniseries. Did you read them all? No. I recall nothing about it. I know I read at least some of it. I can't remember if I read the whole miniseries, but yeah, it just, it didn't appeal to me at all. Um, I don't remember anything about it other than his... <laughs> You know, big giant helmet that he wore that would probably break his neck if he wore it in real life. It'd be so heavy, but uh, I don't. I don't remember anything about it. I, I could have done uh, research on it today and and uh, looked it up and familiarized myself with it again. I, I didn't want to. It's that simple. It was awful. Um, so let's go into a better things now. The uh, next one is Captain Adam, um, drawn by Pat Broderick, one of my favorites. Did. Was it Carrie Bates that wrote it? I'll, I'll find out as we discuss it. Um, you you tell me your thoughts on the book. It was, yeah, it was definitely Pat Broderick who who penciled it. 
Um, it was, uh, I just remember it as being very standard superhero fare. Uh, the character had some popularity and showed up in uh, Justice League uh, uh, Europe. I think he was one of the team leaders of Justice League Europe. Uh, so the character had a little staying power to him. Um, what's interesting is that's a character who should be a very heavy hitter, but just got kind of sidelined. Um, you know, uh, there was an attempt, I think, to do something kind of fun or interesting with him as a, as a straightforward superhero character. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, decent enough art, um, generally decent storyline, but nothing, again, nothing really spectacular. It certainly wasn't the, the, the devastatingly bad stuff of, of Peacemaker, but it wasn't anything great either. I actually uh, liked it. Um, I'm a big Pat Rogers fan, and uh, you know, it's one of those books sort of like a firestorm or something like that to where you don't read it uh, in the hopes that it's going to be anything great. You know, you just read it for good superhero action and subplots and things like that, and it was a, a solid book. I mean, it was nothing great, um, but I... To me, it was enjoyable from beginning to end. Um, just very solid, very uh, smooth reading, very consistent. Um, I think uh, Roderick left after a while, and maybe Raphael Kanan or something. I'm probably butchering his name, but got on it. But uh, I think it was just a good, fun book. You know, about like the yeah. Blue Beetle was nothing, nothing you're going to go crazy about, but something that's entertaining to read and consistent. I think every month. And the characters worked well in team books yeah. as well. So, you know, it was a situation where they were they were trying to, to insert them into the DC universe. Yeah. And I think, with particularly with those two, they were successful. But, you know, I also think, uh, and you, I think you sort of hinted on this a second ago, uh, Captain Adams should be more powerful than they really right. made him. Uh, same thing with, like, the Firestorm. You know, the, these characters are... Tremendously powerful, but they're sort of written in just a average superhero way. Um, right. But then again, I'm, I feel that way with Green Lantern, and I don't think there's too many writers or artists that have that have ever really put any thought into Green Lantern's powers. You know, he's using, you know, creating uh, galloping rhinos and stuff. You know, instead of forming right. a bubble around someone's head and sucking the air out of them and, and knocking them <laughs> unconscious. You know. How hard is that? Do that every time. But uh, I'm, I'm going to write Green Lantern one day, and it's going to be the greatest thing. But we're going to we're going to no, not really. But uh, the current Green Lantern run is, is actually quite good. But but back yeah. back to Charlton. Yeah, but Captain Adam. I, I think we're pretty much done with him. Just a solid book. Nothing great. Nothing bad. Just if you want something fun to read. That's about right. It. right. Uh, now uh, Black Orchid. Did you ever read this? I did the Neil Gaiman issues. Now that's a character. That's a now. I, I read the Neil Gaiman uh, miniseries that yeah. was painted. Yes. Um, I don't recall that character. I think they made some attempts to to put her into the DC universe proper. I think she shows up in some. Uh, I know she shows up in Suicide Squad uh-huh. a couple of times. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a, it was an early introduction to Neil Gaiman. Uh, it was, I think they were trying to give him a prestige 
kind of book to relaunch a character. Um, and it was, as usual with, with Gaiman, it was very artful. Um, it was not the book I think that they had quite hoped it would be. Um, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't think most people remember it particularly well. Um, but, uh, you know, it was an attempt to do something at least different with the character. Yeah, it, it became a Vertigo book. Uh, she got her own series for 20-something issues. Um, oh, see, I don't remember that. You don't, you don't, I don't either. That's the thing. I've read them. I don't remember them. Yeah. Uh, Dick Foreman wrote them. Jill Thompson, at least, uh, you know, she was uh, the artist. It tried to be a little too serious and a little too Neil Gaiman-ish, but obviously not able to write like him. And it was just boring. I actually, I think I found them cheap years ago and the whole series and I just read them and I couldn't, I can barely tell you anything that happened. And it was just very, uh, you know, it, it took itself too seriously and it just wasn't exciting or interesting at all. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't really know what you would do with the character. No one's ever heard of this, you know, black orchid, you know? Um, right, right. So, you know, what do you do with it? I don't know. I, I at least give them credit for trying to bring her into the Vertigo universe and doing something different with her. I just don't think it worked. Um, no, no. Really boring, boring series. Uh, there was even, I think, a crossover with Swamp Thing for a couple of issues, and even that didn't even interest me when I read it. And Swamp Thing, you know, my favorite DC character, so... You know, that tells you something. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you can't make a story with Swamp Thing interesting... Uh, there's some problems. There's some problems. Um, all right. Now, uh, on to probably my favorite. Well, probably. Definitely my favorite of the Charlton characters uh, was The Question. Uh, Denny O'Neill, uh, Dennis Cowan, Wilson Cavett was involved. Uh, tell me your praises for that. I mean, nothing but praises. Why that book hasn't been reprinted more is beyond me. Um, it is... Well, for one thing, O'Neill was allowed or just decided to do to turn the character on his ear because the character was a, was a very black and white uh, objectivist character who saw everything as either right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And O'Neill took that and just like, I think in the first, was it the first issue he got shot in the head? Yeah, he got killed in the first issue. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. And that, that just started that whole run. Um, mm -hmm. the, the art is, uh, unique. Uh, and it was, it was, I don't, it, that book was not anything that anyone was, was anticipating. And I think it has the, the most staying power for sure of all the Charlton characters, uh, mm -hmm. that came to DC. And it really deserves to be more. I, I know that there's a series going on right now that, that sort of builds off of that a little bit. But it, but it, the original series, the original run, uh, really needs to be remembered more than just kind of in passing. It, it was really a fantastic book. Groundbreaking, I thought it was. Uh, it, was it was very philosophical. Uh, it was yeah, very action packed. And I was never, and no offense to Dennis Cowan, I, I just personally was never a big fan of his art. But on this book, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he um, was. He had. The poses down of, of the, I don't know what he did, karate jujitsu, I have no idea, but you know, he had that down pat. He had the darkness of the book down pat. Um, it was, 
consistently great every single issue, it seemed like. Um, I think eventually it went to a quarterly book, which eventually killed it. Um, but it was it was just one of the greatest. And, it, you know, the thing about Steve Ditko, who created him originally, was uh, everybody Steve Ditko creates never really has a face. <laughs> He's created so many question characters, even in independent books and stuff like that. Nobody has a face. He's, he's recreated that character about ten times. But um, So for O'Neill and Cowan to take that character and just completely change him, I guess, and, and turn him into something, like you said, no one was expecting, you know, it was just a, to me, a, I thought it was always a pretty successful book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and of course, without the question, you would have no Rorschach, uh, who, right. who is easily the, the, the breakout character, strangely, I mean, I, when you really think about it, in, in Watchmen. And mm-hmm. what I'm amazed that people still don't know is that Alan Moore originally approached DC with Watchmen as being the story of all the Charlton characters. Uh-huh. Uh, so Dr. Manhattan was Cap- Captain Adam. Uh, uh, the comedian was Peacemaker. Uh, Night Owl was uh, Blue Beetle. Uh, and Rorschach was the question. And I don't know if I'm missing, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some of the other Charlton characters. Silk Spectre, was she Black Orchid, maybe? Maybe. Um, yeah. Um, and, I couldn't and, figure and, them all out. But DC basically read his treatment and said, you know, we, we just bought these characters. <laughs> you, you're going to, like, you know, destroy their world in, like, 12 issues. So we can't let you do that. So just create. And actually, that's probably the best thing that ever happened to Alan Moore. Yes. Yeah. Because then he had to you know, take those basic premises, but then he also had the freedom to do more with them that he probably could have done editorially uh, with the Charlton characters. Um, yeah. He would have destroyed them immediately, you know? Like you said, DC, yay, we bought these characters. Alan Moore's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just screw them up so bad beyond, beyond any redemption. I mean, they're just going to be never be able to go back to what they were. and But at the same time, it's the best version of those characters. I agree. Well, it's a more human version of those characters. Right. Um, I mean, Dr. Manhattan is far more powerful than Captain Adam has ever uh, depicted. Right. Right. Um, you know, and it's considered one of the, possibly the greatest comic book story of all time. Right from Charleston characters that no one really cared about up until then, you know. Right. Um, now, of course, Alan Moore since is disgusted by you know the fact that you know DC. From my understanding, um, DC you know said, "Hey, you can have the rights to the Watchmen uh, once it's no longer in print. It's always been in print, and it always will be in print." So Alan Moore will not get the rights to him. And uh, so he's, you know, he's been fed up with that for decades now and, and disgusted by just, you know, the big companies in general. Um, when it comes to ownership like that, writing for a big company or writing in, even though The Watchmen was not in the DC universe, but it is now, unfortunately. But, uh, right. How do, you, how do you feel about them having the rights to things they create? Do you think they should... Have the rights, or do you think it's more of 
I mean, we hired you to write this for our company. Obviously, we own it. You know, what, what do you think? I, I think that needs to be hashed out. I mean, I, this isn't a business podcast, but I think mm-hmm. that needs to be hashed out in a contract before before anything is sealed, before any deal yeah. is sealed. I mean, in other words, you know, if fine, you know, you, you want me to write Spider-Man. I realize I'm, I'm working in the Marvel uh, sandbox, so anything I create gets left in that sandbox when I leave. Um, yes. You know, uh, this is a little different, but not entirely, because these are all original characters, but not so original. Do you know what I mean? Like original characters that were directly inspired by characters that other people had created. Um, And I just think that, you know, more may not have been that savvy at the time to, to, uh, I mean, I don't know, but I, I feel like if you, if you go work for Marvel or DC, unless you have it lock solid in the contract that says these things are mine, and you have to remember, even in the 80s, there was a lot of discussion about this because the, the whole estate of Jack Kirby and where how his artwork was being dealt with and who owned it and all of that, all of that was it was in the public mind in the 80s. So it wasn't like Moore entered this as a naive person. There was lots right. of that stuff going on. Whatever the contract says in that case, I just kind of feel like, I mean, I, I'm, I clearly I'm no lawyer and I don't have all the information about this, but mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like the deal that you sign is the deal that you live with and you need not gripe about it. If you, if you got what you wanted out of it at the time, you need to be satisfied with that. I agree. And I, I think probably not in Alan Moore's case because he was huge at the time and he probably knew this was going to be huge, but I like other writers like uh, the late great. Steve Gerber and, and people like that, who he had a problem with not being able to own uh, the rights to Howard the Duck, I think. Right. Um, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, people create these characters and then all of a sudden the character gets popular. There may even be a movie made or there may be this and all of a sudden, oh, they they want to have ownership of that character. But it's like, like you said, you're writing the sandbox of this universe owned by a company. You're a hired hand. You're, you're nothing but a hired hand. Right. Um, no matter how popular you are. So if you are going to create a character, I mean, be happy that you have the opportunity right. to write for Marvel or DC or whoever and to be able to create anything. Because if you created that same character for an independent company, it's not going anywhere. Possibly. Right. You know? Right, 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 right. But enough of the business, like you said. This is not a business podcast. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll immediately jump off of that. Um but, uh, yeah, uh, like you said, The Watchmen was the best version of those characters, I think. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the most, if not the most groundbreaking comic book story of all time. Uh, one, one more uh, quick question about this. Um, you know, recently the Doomsday Clock uh, was, uh, Maxi series came out from DC using the Watchmen characters and combining them in the DC universe. Uh, do you think it should have been done or not? Um, I thought it was about as well done as it could have been. I see absolutely no point to have done it except to get some publicity. There's nothing I can say to that either. You, you said it right on the head. Yeah, it was once once it was announced and it came out. I said I'm going I'm to read it. You know, I mean, it's yeah. Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Yep. You know, they they could not have done a better job on it. 
uh, but should have been done? No. That there's some things that should never be touched. Even a few years ago, there was those uh, sort of prequel watch right. miniseries that came out, and they were all well done. But don't do them. You know, right. just don't do them. Um, leave there, it alone. The, that story's been told. Yeah, uh, I mean, you got you're still making money off of the Watchmen trade paperbacks and graphic novels and stuff. You're st- you know, you, there's a movie, there's a TV show. Do you really need to push it any more than that? You know, right, right. So, uh, so any more uh, things you need to say about the Charleston heroes? The Charlton heroes. <laughs> Why do I keep saying Charleston? Yeah, the, you want the a Charleston, Charleston chew? I've told Carolina. you from the very yeah. beginning. I know. It's, it's they're, all about all candy bars with you. The Yorktown, no, the battleship I, in Charleston. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I, he, here's here's the sad thing about this particular episode, and it's always good to end a podcast episode by talking about the sad things, don't you think? Um, always the the uh, a lot of what we've talked about today has to do with mediocrity in comics, and like mm-hmm. the the. That there were particularly with these these team books that frankly were designed as sales giants. I mean, they were just designed to let's just put all these characters in and hopefully we can amalgamate all of their sales into one book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you end up with great peaks and very low valleys. Right. Um, you know where there's there's it, it's not consistent. Um, you don't get the kind of great runs that you see across the board in, say, a, a Superman book or a Batman book or a flagship, but it is a flagship title. Um, and then with these Charlton characters, you acquire all of these characters, and then you don't really know what to do with them. Um, and so you end up with a lot of mediocre product. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you, they were lucky to get the question out of that. They really were. That I think that was uh, that was the fact that they had the for whoever made that choice the right creative team working on it. So, so that's really that's where I kind of fall at the end of this is that uh, you know there's unfortunately, and this is true of any medium, whether it's comics or music or movies, there's a lot of stuff that's not terrible, but it's not great. And it's just sort of there, and it's like, okay, well, I can read it, I can take it or I leave it, and uh, it, it's it's good that there are things like Watchmen, like like the Question, like the Giffen uh, JLA, like the like the uh, Grant Morrison JLA that that make those things leap off the page a little more. And why? My question too is like, no pun intended, is why would DC? By the Charlton characters, anyway. Uh, you know, it's, the only recollection I have of those characters was when I was a little kid in elementary school. I would go in Woolworths and buy these little packs of uh, Captain Atom and Blue Beetle from the original Charlton comics. They were just reprints of it. Um, but the average person wouldn't even know who they are. Um, so it was a little weird. They had a history of that. You know, they bought yeah. uh, they bought Captain Marvel. Uh, yep. they, they bought the Fawcett characters, they yep. and they struck. They struggled ever since with what to do with them because they were they existed in a very distinct universe. Yeah, uh, and so trying to and that's kind of where what led I think at some level to the crisis was trying to figure out how are we going to merge all of these characters into it was a, it was an economic decision. Let's put them all in the same place mm-hmm. so that we can 
so that when Giffen does his uh, Justice League, you could have Shazam or, or well, Captain Marvel as he yeah. ought to be called. And I will hang up on that one for a while. Captain Marvel as he ought to be called. Um, yeah. Came out way it, before Marvel's Captain Marvel. But yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, was more popular than Superman yep. at, the t- at the time. Um, but so that they could have a Captain Marvel in the Justice League. You know, how can we, and uh, Captain Adam in the Justice League, so that you could have that synergy of all of those characters. That's the only reason I can see for acquiring them. I think so, too, because, you know, otherwise, I mean, really, who, who are these characters? But, you know, it's funny because the most popular character in that classic Justice League was Blue Beetle, really. You know? Yep. Um, so you take this sort of lame character uh, who was fine in his own book, but nothing great, and put him in Justice League, and he and Booster Gold run away with the with the laughs. Right. Um, so, there's that. Alright, well, I think uh, we are wrapping this up. Uh, people want to email us, because, you know, if you do email us, we'll, we'll probably read it. We, we, we most definitely will read it. So, I, I'm not going to beg, but I'm going to get I'm going to get real close to it, and uh, it. it's bwahahacast b w a h a h a c a s t at gmail dot com. Write us, tell us what you love, tell us what you hate, tell us what topics you think we ought to do, uh, tell us why the Shadow by Andrew Helfer and Kyle Baker is the greatest thing that was ever created in the 1980s. Uh, tell us why it's the worst thing that was ever created. Uh, we don't care. Just give us some kind of feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Definitely. Definitely. If you want to even talk about you know, cheesecake, well, instead that, of comic books, we'll read it. Why we will. We will. Yeah. We're we will. that desperate for attention. Absolutely. Something. All right. Uh, well, this is wrapping up episode five of Wahaha Cast. Uh, this is David Simonton and Chris Kirby. Uh, We will see you in a couple of weeks. See you, David. See you, Chris.